Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, setting the pace, a little Pacers beginning of the off-season perspective with Alex Golden joining us now. Hello, Alex. How are you? JMV, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Am I really monopolizing in hyperbole here when I suggest this is one of the largest off-seasons for this Pacer team and organization we have seen in a long, long time? I would say you're probably on track with that just just because, I mean, it's been said a few different times of Kevin Pritchard since he's taken over for Larry Bird, you know, biggest off-season of Kevin Pritchard's tenure. But I do really feel like this off-season might be the most important specifically because Tyrese Halliburton has not uh, is still on his rookie contract before he hits that max extension. You know, you do have some room here to, to make some big moves and with likely four draft picks in the top 32, I mean, with cap space and all that, it just feels like this is now the time to kind of make more of an all in move to try and get this team back into the playoffs. Alex Golden of Center of the Pace joins us. Before we dive into a little bit more, give me your your view, uh, give us, in this case, your view of an all-in type of move. Yeah, so, I mean, this can go a lot of different ways. I mean, I haven't really put too much thought into, like, what players they can go out and get. But, obviously, we saw that this team, with Tyrese Halliburton healthy, with Miles Turner playing at the level he was playing, and really, I mean, Buddy Hill played pretty solid all season long as well. They were, I believe, 23 and 18 at the halfway point. So they were in the playoffs already. I think if you can add another power forward to this team, whether it's an OG and an OB type of player, I think that could really improve their overall stance on where they're at. Being an OB's like a superstar or anything like that, but. I do think that he's got potential left in him. I think that there's ways they could utilize him a little bit differently than Toronto does. But I think you also have to just believe in, like, Benedict Mather and Andrew Nimhart continuing to grow. That's one thing that we've, you know, we don't overlook. But, you know, for what they both have done in their rookie season, they're going to get better. I don't, I don't expect a drop-off like we saw from Duarte and Isaiah Jackson in their second year. So that's kind of an all-in move is making a trade for, for a starter-level player that you actually think is a starter and not someone that you're just trying to give a chance to, kind of like they did with Jalen Smith and eventually uh, Aaron Neesmith when they put him in the starting lineup. So you have that. And then, of course, you've got your draft pick. Uh, I'm curious to see how they go about the draft and then what what pick they get is going to make a big difference on who they go and get. But uh, I think with their first pick in the top ten, you're probably going to see something similar to what we saw with Mathern where that, where that rookie comes off the bench and kind of, you know, earns his way into more minutes because I just think Carlisle, uh, he, he's very smart about not throwing them into the fire right away, and I think it would be smart to kind of ease them into it because not every rookie is going to be like Andrew Nimhart and have a lot of college experience already under their belt. 
that's going to be drafted top 10. From setting the pace, Alex Golden's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group pylon. It's fan appreciation night at the Fieldhouse tonight. Final game of the Pacers 2022-2023 campaign against Jaden Ivey and the Pistons tonight. 6.30 of coverage begins here. 7P coming up game time here tonight on the fan. They close it out, as I mentioned earlier, Madison Square Garden on Sunday. Am I exaggerating as well the bargaining chip that they have as a centerpiece? With with this, in terms of how a player will look at Indy and this growing product, this basketball team, compared to how they viewed it in the past. No, I think that I think Halliburton is one of the most likable guys in the entire NBA, and his willingness to pass, I think, and get others involved, will make it more attractive for for players to want to come here. Now, at the end of the day, it's still Indiana. And they still have to prove that, you know, they're not this middle-of-the-pack, tough-out type team that they've been for, for years, really since the, the West Hibbert era when they were in the Eastern Conference Finals. They've been, you know, first-round exit, and, and that's been the story. So I think if they can continue to build from within, add a player, maybe, maybe kind of similar to how they added David West, someone that's not – the biggest free agent, but a big free agent signing and can prove that they are a legitimate franchise that's that's gonna be in playoff contention for a while. I think that with Halliburton at the top of the you know, the head of the snake, you're gonna have people be interested in playing with him and we already saw a small sample of that last year with DeAndre Ayton signing that max extension um, with the Pacers. And I know that was part of money, but I think also he had to be okay with the fact that if the Suns don't match, I'm going to play in Indiana. So I think that that does matter. Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about this last night in in watching the Suns, and I know that he is in a win-right-now title situation where he is in Phoenix. But they were talking about this a little bit on the game last night. It does make you wonder if just individually for himself, because he doesn't seem like he's a dude that enjoys that situation at all. He didn't before he signed that offer sheet. He didn't after he signed that offer sheet. They're having a great deal of success, but he doesn't seem like that he likes it. He gets along with Monty Williams. Does it ever make you wonder that he might be a guy looking back and wishes that they would not have matched that offer sheet and he got to start at the bottom here with this team? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's some truth in that because he would have definitely got a, a, a bigger role here, a magnified role. And I think you could even make the case that if the Pacers had had a similar record, uh, I think that he probably could have been an, an all-star candidate in the Eastern Conference. Now, I, I, I do believe that DeAndre Ayton's a good player. There are some flaws to his game. There's no doubt about it. And you have to wonder sometimes about his love for the game. And it feels like it goes through the motions quite a bit. But you know, I'm sure that playing with Chris Paul, someone that's known for, you know, holding people accountable and kind of barking at players a lot, I'm sure that wears on you as well. And the relationship with them and Monty Williams has been reported, you know, not to be perfect. So I, I think that he's in a great spot to, to potentially win a championship or at least come out of the Western Conference with the Kevin Durant addition. But, yeah, I, I'm sure there was part of him that thought, man, I could really show show people that I've got more in the bag than what I've been able to showcase here. And I think Halliburton would have got the most out of him because Halliburton, look what he did with Miles Turner this year. I mean, Miles Turner had his best season. And while they're two different players, Aiden and Turner, I just think that Halliburton raises people's floor because of his passing abilities. Now, and understand that I won't get completely pissed off if you answer it the way that I, I – 
I don't want you to answer it, but yeah, considering the numbers, I think uh, Aiton's 18 and 10. What, Miles, I think, is basically, what is he, 18 and 8, something like that, 18 yeah. and 9? Um, would you rather have for this team moving forward Aiton or Turner? Yeah, I think if you're not looking at contracts, you'd probably say that Aiton has more upside, first overall pick, that kind of thing. But Turner is a better rim protector. I think Turner is a better three-point shooter. Aiton's probably your better rim runner, uh, more of a lob threat type of guy. He can block shots too, more athletic. I just think overall, uh, Turner taking the hometown discount is more beneficial. I think the center position is important, but I also believe that it's one of the least important positions in the NBA. So, you know, while we do have MVP candidates like Embiid, like Jokic, like if you're not a great center that is like running the team, everything's going through you, then I think you want more of a guy that's third, fourth option. So for the Pacers building forward, it actually isn't a bad idea the route they went. I think in the long run, they're going to be thankful that Aiton signed with the Suns and that they didn't have to give him all that money. And if they were able to strike a deal with Miles, that was very team-friendly, and be able to build upon that because, you know, Miles is probably a top-10, top-12 center in the NBA. So it's not like he's some bottom feeder in the NBA centers, even though some people think that, he, because they're just haters for whatever reason. But I do believe that Miles has solidified himself, and I think he's grown a ton next to Tyree. So I I, uh, I think he's a better player, but I think that Turner and his contract makes more sense with him forward. Well, that's the right answer. The right answer is they're better off at 33 here. So, and I'm and I'm glad that all the way around that he had the opportunity to show people that and again, I think that if you want to show others just how good of a place that is, one of the things that you use as an example is Miles certainly since Tyrese Halliburton got here and what he was, and I know that a lot of that is because he was clogged up with Sabonis here, but what he was compared to what he is right now I think is a great example of why people, why other players would want to, or certainly would think about Indy in a much different light with Halliburton than they once did. No, and I think you're 100% right. Like, Miles kind of endorsing the franchise by signing that extension after all the trades that went around, like the rumors that he's been in for five, six years, and then you go out and sign Aiden, like, that just goes to show, like, hey, he's a pretty loyal guy. And it's like Pacer fans have been dying for loyalty for so long, and, and finally a guy shows loyalty and shows that, hey, I like playing with Tyrese Halliburton. And now people are talking a lot on, on national podcasts about the growth of Miles and stuff like that. So I, I think that Miles can get his recognition that he deserves with the Pacers still, and it's just going to take them getting to be more of a serious playoff team instead of, uh, you know, this awkward, like you said, Turner's a bonus fit, and then this team that's in the lottery every year, you're not going to get as much love. But I think once they can solidify themselves as a playoff team, and if they can even win a series, I think you're going to start seeing more and more national people realize the value of Miles Turner in the NBA. You know what's funny about this is, too, in the process, because everybody, Alex, wants to gauge the trade. And initially it was, hey, look what the Pacers did. They got everything. And now because of the success of Sacramento out west, you know, a lot of those opinions have changed. I just think you can look at it from both standpoints as each team got exactly what was necessary for them to get better moving forward in the longer term. 
term. But I also look at it this way. I mean, there was a, a Sabonis thing to where, you know, how was he going to play at a pace in which teams play today? And there was a description of him being somewhat archaic in how he scores. But, man, has he taken it again to another level, being consistent and has fit in in Sacramento and has been a large part, if not the largest part, of why they're so successful for the first time in forever there. Yeah, and I'll just say this. Sabonis is not going to be as publicly out uh, outspoken like Tyrese has been about how Sacramento trading him really hurt his feelings and stuff like that. Like, he's not going to show that side, but if anybody knows DeMontis Sabonis, they know he's a competitor. And the fact that people kept shredding the Kings for making this trade, which I think a lot of people were right in saying, why would you give up on Tyrese Halliburton when Sabonis would leave you in a couple of years? I do believe that, that Sabonis hurt everything, and he played with a major chip on his shoulder. So, Personally, for me, I, I've loved seeing what Domas has done. But you're right. This trade has benefited so many people. When you, when you hear people talk about it nationally, all they ever talk about is, oh, you know, the Pacers were viewed as the team that won the trade because they got Tyrese. Right. And now they always talk about, well, did they really? Because look at Sabonis. It's the moment. It, it's, it's a moment evaluation on TV yeah. with and, those guys. Yeah. And, but what they don't ever bring up is like, how Buddy Hill played when he got traded to the Pacers. Buddy Hill is a totally different player than he was in Sacramento in terms of what he's been able to do. And look at what kind of opportunities have opened up for Miles Turner. So I think that at the end of the day, the trade benefited everybody. There doesn't have to be a winner or a loser in this. The Kings got exactly what they wanted to make the playoffs. The Pacers got exactly what they wanted, a franchise guy to help them with a rebuild. It's not like the Pacers are trying to, you know, be some – playoff contender right now they've made that very clear and i think if you lose sight of what their goal is then you're just being silly when you say well now the kings clearly won the trade because of where they're at i think that both teams made a very fair trade might be one of the most fair trades that we've probably seen in nba history so Alex Golden setting the pace, talking Pacers and more with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Blue and gold and their fan appreciation night gets the Pistons tonight, 6.30 pre-7P, the tip right here on the fan. Of course, Halliburton, Turner, I guess we'll see there's still a possibility, but he seems certainly solidified here. Healed, uh, short-term, yeah. Matherin, long-term, yeah. Wara, everybody feels good about. Neesmith, everybody likes. We'll talk about Smith. Nimhard's going to be here for a while. Where do we question those that we have seen this past year on this team in terms of maybe not being here next year? Um, Like McConnell, maybe Duarte. Um, Brissette, some of the names of some of these major guys that we have seen this past year that may not be a part of this roster next year. Yeah, I think the obvious one is Chris Duarte and his fit. you got to remember when he was drafted, that was when they had the Sabonis, Turner, Karis LeVert, Brogdon team. I don't think he necessarily fits this team right now, especially with the guards that we have. I think with Matherin playing the way he's played, and then, of course, uh, Andrew Nimhard stepping up the way he stepped up. I just don't think that Chris Duarte makes a lot of sense long-term with this team. So I will be, uh, I'll be shocked if they don't trade him. I think he's probably the most likely to be moved this off season in terms of, you know, the players you mentioned. McConnell's a very interesting one because at what point do you want to give Andrew Nimhard the opportunity to kind of run the second unit? Do you continue to play Nimhard alongside Tyrese in the starting lineup or do you move him to the bench and let him, 
run that second unit? That's a very interesting question. I think that. Hey, I want to stop you right there, too, and you can continue. Yeah. Don't we both look at TJ McConnell at still having, and this is game to game, this is not just periodically speaking, but game to game influence and productivity on this team to where he still has a high level of value? It's not just, well, he's a great leader and he plays with energy and he, you know, shows by no. example. It's not that. He is highly productive game in and game out on this team. No, I mean, he single-handedly helped them beat the Thunder last Friday, right? So, I mean, almost had a triple-double. I think that McConnell is better than people give him credit for in terms of the player he is. I think that he's improved a lot this year with his three-point shot. So, it wouldn't shock me if they keep him. I think that there's potential they could move him because his salary does fit if they want to make a bigger trade. And I think that he could be valuable to a lot of other teams. I just wonder because Nim Hardeman has – a lot of similarities to a Jalen Brunson. Not the same type of player, but the same type of situation being drafted early in the second round and feeling like they could be a starter. Now, the big thing here is obviously Halliburton is going to be your starting point guard with no question. So does Nimhard, you know, make more sense as someone that uses trade bait because he could be a starter somewhere else? I wouldn't trade Nimhard at all right now because I think he's too valuable to this team. But the contract that he's on and the upside that he has and potentially – you could argue he's the best defender on the team right now, perimeter defender. So, no, I don't think they should move off of him whatsoever. But with McConnell, I think that you have to look bigger picture here. Nimhard could be a starter. Tyrese is for sure a starter. And McConnell is still a backup. I don't think McConnell's ever going to be a starter-level player. So that's how you kind of have to tier them. And is it worth paying a third-string point guard like McConnell close to $9 million a year? I don't think that makes a lot of sense. I think it would make more sense to maybe trade McConnell, bring George Chill back as that veteran presence that can play when he needs to, but preferably you're going to split those point guard minutes up for the 82-game regular season between Halliburton and Nimhard and figure that out. So that, that's where I'm at. O'Shea, to me, I don't really think that that's a big loss. Uh, like O'Shea as a player, but I think with the addition of Wara, that kind of fills the, the, the void of O'Shea leaving because they're similar players in terms of what position they play. The war just gives you a lot more offensively. So Alex Golden is setting the pace with us. I know that there are still some determining factors going into tonight and then on Sunday to close it out. Where do you ultimately expect the Pacers to be selecting come the June draft, if you're going to fare a guess? Yeah, that's tough. I, I, to me, it feels like they'll probably – I have a feeling they're going to win against the Pistons tonight. Um, the Pistons have n- nothing to lose by winning. The Pacers do have something to, to lose by winning this game. So we'll see what happens. Obviously, T.J. McConnell is out tonight as well as Jalen Smith. So I think that's going to play a factor into it because, like we just said, McConnell single-handedly helped them beat, uh, beat the, uh, the Thunder. It was fantastic off. against the Knicks the other night, too. Yeah. He's been playing like that. It's like when the games and, don't. And you can make the argument when he went out, when he went out and they went back with the, the starting guys that they got worse, <laughs> like, you yeah. know, in the second half, too, for that matter. Yeah. I will say this, especially against the Cavs, it was like 95 to 93 when he went out and the Pacers got outscored 20 to 12 in <laughs> right. seven minutes. So right. it's like he, he's been so good these last few games and he just plays hard all the time. So him going out, it's not a bit of a surprise. I think the Pacers know they need to lose this game. And. Right now, Orlando, they've got a couple opportunities to, to get some wins here. They've got the Nets. I think they've got the Heat, too, as well. So we'll see what happens. I would pre- pre- predict them to be tied with the Wizards and the, and the Magic for that that six-worst spot where they'll all have the same odds come, come the draft lottery, and then we'll see what happens there. But 
I don't, I don't hate those odds. I mean, last year they were at five. They fell back to six. You know, the, the nice thing about being in the five-six spot is I think this is there's about seven guys that I really like for the Pacers. So if they fall to eight or nine, they'll probably uh, there's a guy I like Taylor Hendricks that's probably going to be in that eight to ten range that I would be okay with them taking. But I like seven players more than him, and I think that's kind of where I want them to fall is top seven. But uh, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. I just hope the draft lottery works better for them this year where they can jump up. You, you, you think that um, that ultimately they will they utilize that? Or, uh, I mean, are they maybe thinking, you know, trade value type of something with, with what they do with this? No, I think, they take, I think they take a player here. I would be a little bit surprised if they didn't because, you know, like I just mentioned earlier, Halliburton's max is going to kick in. Right. So getting another guy on a rookie contract to go with Matherin, I think that's very smart strategic uh, team building. So getting somebody on a cheaper contract that's on a rookie scale contract where you have control of their, their contract for eight to nine years, I think that makes more sense than trading for a guy like, I mean, OG is an expiring contractor, has a player option at the end of next season, so he could leave. And do you really want to trade a, a eighth overall pick or something like that right. for a guy that could leave you in free agency? No, I don't think that makes sense. So that that to me is where I'm at. And, and honestly, this draft, could they trade up in the draft? I mean, even if they fall at eight, could they trade up to six or five? You know, you, you never know. And I think that this is why it's such a big offseason for Pritchard because if they if they like a player, they're going to be super aggressive. And I wouldn't even be afraid to trade uh, future picks to go out there and get your guy. Yeah, I, I I would agree with that assessment of it as well too. But uh, yeah, it, it it is interesting. Wara has brought something to you. It's has that been surprising? And it's something that you believe can can further help this team and you know other aspects that maybe surprise you or disappoint you. And I didn't want you to check in on Benedict Matherin because I watched this being down there on Wednesday night. Um, obviously, he started out the season great, and he has an overall fantastic rookie season. But there are certainly some things to work on, and one of those things would be you can tell he's a marked dude by the officials. Mm-hmm. Like I saw Tony Brothers the other night simply walk away. He wasn't having any of listening to his excuses as to what happened. A lot of these guys are over him right now, and that's that's going to be something that you would like to see him change, his style in the way that he communicates with the officials in the future. All a part of the maturation process, but where do you think he is right now as we end the season? Yeah, I think he's in a good spot. I think we've seen growth from him outside of just being a scorer, right? Because that's kind of what his goal – that's kind of what his – not goal, but that's kind of what his role was when he when he came into the league as this guy off the bench who's going to be the, the main focus of getting him the ball and that kind of stuff. And now, you know, Carlisle's done a really good job of explaining things, I, I feel like personally, with giving him bigger responsibilities defensively, making him go up against tougher defenders. And I think the, the fact that Carlisle pulled him against the Thunder for not running to the corner – because that's what the offense requires him to do. You know, these are little things that he's going to have to get better at, is just being able to move without the basketball. How can he be, you know, a a spot-up guy? How can he be more effective, impactful off the ball than when he always has the ball in his hands? Because right now I think we all feel like when he has the ball in his hands, you feel pretty good about it. He's still getting to the free throw line at a pretty high rate. So even if Tony Brothers doesn't like the way that he's communicating or other officials don't like the way that he complains a lot and, Christ for calls, whatever. I mean, every guy in the NBA does it. So uh, it's part of, like you said, it's maturation. He's a young guy. I think that overall what we see from him, you have to love the, the direction that his future is heading. I think that you feel really confident that he can be 
that, you know, 1A, 1B star with Halliburton based off of his potential. Now, he's still got to get better defensively, and I think mentally he's got to just be able to read the game a little bit better as a playmaker. But overall, what they've asked of Ben so far this season, I think you would say it's a success, and I think everybody would be incredibly excited about his future because he's got that hunger in him to get better. It's not a guy that, you know, feels like he deserves it, but he's going out there and, and earning it. I think Carlisle is, is making him be more uh, appreciative and grateful of opportunities because Carlisle makes you earn your playing time. He's not just going to give it to you. So I think that's one thing we've seen from Matherin this year is just growth and learning that, hey, I'm not just going to be handed stuff because I'm this six overall pick. I, I've got to earn it. All right, Alex, from setting the pace, it's Alex Golden with us. In closing here, anything you want to add that I'm sure that we'll talk about even more so once we get into the offseason? But clearly I wanted to give everybody a head start on this final home game. Yeah, no, I don't I don't think there's anything else to add right now, obviously. Uh, we haven't really done a lot of offseason coverage yet for the podcast. Uh, just trying to ride out these final two games. I'll be in the building tonight for the last game of the season just to – kind of see what happens here i might be rooting for the pistons but i'll keep the uh the clapping down for them <laughs> during the game but other than that now i think it's been a really successful season for the pacers despite the record uh improving nine to ten wins from last season i think that's just remarkable for where we thought they were going to be at the beginning of the season so kudos to carlisle and the entire staff and, and and the players for really you know improving and getting a little bit of, ahead of schedule in terms of development because I, I feel like there's good potential with this team next year to be a playoff team. I go back to October. I bring this up all the time. He came on this show, and, man, he was trying to cushion the blow initially. He said, there's going to yeah. be a lot of losing, and I want everybody <laughs> to prepare for that, but it's for the betterment of the team. And I'm, I'm telling you, I, I think the goodwill was built in that run that they had in December – and I, I still think maybe not to the degree in which they did hit that wall and start losing games, but I still think they were going to go on the downhill slide with or without Halliburton. And no doubt that injury did expedite that process a great deal. But goodwill was built in December that has been long-lasting for this group because there is no doubt people believe in what they're doing right now here. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of people that are excited for what this team's going to be and. You know, winning those close games at home and stuff like that, it's uh, its definitely been beneficial for the fans to get into it. I was actually at the Thunder game last Friday, and I couldn't believe how many fans were in the arena. just surprised me. Like, this is a team that's not playing Tyrese Halliburton, not playing Miles Turner. They're trying to lose games, and, you know, there's fans out here supporting them. And I know we talked about this last year. Like, will this fan base support a team that's, you know, tanking or trying to lose? Right. And – I, I thought maybe for a year they would. I know you said you didn't think they'd do it long-term, but I think that because they had early season success, fans held on for hope, and the Halliburton injury obviously changed everything. But I think at the end of the day, it was the best thing for the team long-term, and we're we're really excited to see what this team can be. And I think every fan I've talked to, they've got nothing but positive things to say. So kudos to Carlisle in the front office and the players for really you know, getting the fan base to buy in despite – once again, being a lottery-bound team. Alex, the Colts have somewhat of a comparable script they need to follow here. Honestly. I mean, show, yeah. showing signs um, of hope in year number one is what people are going to look for and grasp onto. 
But the the difference is that, you know, the owner was out telling everybody how great they were going to be for the past three years, and it never materialized. But this is going to be different. This is going to be one of those showing signs type of deals, too. They need – they're going to need a bit of juice like what the Pacers grasp in, in December, I think, this year for a fan base to uh, to adequately jump back on and believe into what they're doing. It's, it's somewhat – not entirely, but somewhat a similar script. What's new on setting the pace? Yeah, so this week we had on uh, the sideline guys, Pat Boyle and Jeremiah Johnson, for a fun conversation. We recorded that last night, so that's our latest episode. Uh, also had Tony East on. That was a fun one. And then at the end of that podcast, we did a special Tony's draft where we did five uh, five rounds of a snake draft, drafting different people named Tony. So that was a fun little exercise there. So just trying to keep content coming. Keep it fun and keep it lighthearted. Tony, what's what draft anybody like who named Tony? What? Any anybody like fictional or non fictional named Tony. So that's kinda how we did it. Not Anthony, not, ah. not guys that are so if you're if your name's Anthony, you go by Tony, that's fine. If it's like PJ, like uh Tony Warren Junior, he was eligible because Tony LaRussa get drafted? Uh he did not. He was on my honorable mentions. I Tony uh, Perez I, I, get drafted? Nope, you, you haven't got one yet. Tony Montana get no. drafted. Tony Montana did get drafted. That was uh, in the second round. So Tony Orlando Tony get Sup- drafted. Nope, Tony Soprano, Tony yeah. the Tiger, Tony Hawk, Tony Gwynn, uh, Tony Shaloub. Trying to think, Tony Dungy, Tony Kornheiser, uh, Tony Sirico. T- did Tony Donahue get drafted? Oh, sorry. No, we can't give Tony B any love on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I miss that guy, but yeah. Well done. <laughs> love for Tony D. I, I did enjoy Tony D. Basically uh, coming on Twitter to basically shut down all of the Colts, Jet, and Baltimore rumors. That was pretty funny. I enjoyed that from Tony D. Just coming in saying, <laughs> "No, it's just jet maintenance, plane maintenance." <laughs> Quit reading into everything, people. <laughs> gotcha, buddy. I appreciate it, Alex. Yeah. Man, enjoy the game tonight. We'll do it again soon. All right, Jamie. Thank you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Slow Jammery Entry. Four o'clock hour. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. It's Mike Wells. Now's the minute. Now's the minute. For your love. Looks so fine. There's high five in your wheelhouse right here. Man, I love high my all time favorite high five song is Kissing Game, man. That's my uh, uh high that's, five. That, that's, that's my favorite high five jam is Kissing Game. Mm-hmm. I I could roll with that all day. That was that was my junior high, you know, be happy to hold 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 a girl's hand walking down the hallway, yeah, and when yeah. and when there was nobody in the, in the locker hall, you try to sneak a little little, little pet kiss in and stuff. So uh, that's what a high five reminds me of. They've literally had, I think, like eleven members. So Holy I think cow. two of which are no longer with us. Yeah, Tony Tony Thompson. Yeah, he passed. He passed away. Which other one passed away? Um, Roderick Clark, who was a past member. Of High Five. The Waco, Texas group known as High Five. And I can't wait another minute from 1991. The Mike Wells re-entry. What's up, brother? How you doing, man? I'm good. How about you? 
the sun, the sun is out. It's beautiful. And I was going to text you earlier, but instead I was going to miss. I'm going to mention on the air. So as soon as I get done with you, yep. Um, Tay has the game at Finch Creek at six o'clock. Nice. He's never been. He's never been to Ford's Garage. So oh uh, yeah, it's, it's Friday night. So I'm going to need you to. Um, uh, when we get done, can you text me our guy's name? Yes. And, uh, I, w- I want to try to get in there around 7 when I know it's going to be busy. Hopefully, he'll take care of me. And uh, I tell you, is looking forward to uh, getting Fords for the first time. Fords Garage in Noblesville the, with the JMV Burger on the menu, too. I think the JMV hey. Burger now has, like, peanut butter on it or something. You know what? I think I'm gonna tr- I might try that because I know Triple uh, X and West Lafayette has a burger with um, – with what's with peanut butter on it? So you know what's going up there. What's weird about go, that I'm is I've never had a burger with peanut butter on it, and you, yeah, no, I don't think I would do it. I like I like peanut butter, but I like, I like peanut butter in my chocolate and chocolate in my peanut butter. Um, I don't know if I like peanut butter on my burger. Well, listen, if I get in, if I get in the Ford <laughs> tonight, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna go ahead and try a little peanut butter on my burger. Go for it, too. Yeah, we'll make sure, and I know that they, they will. That place, every time somebody goes, they end up giving me a, a picture on Twitter of of the menu up there, too. But they do such a fantastic job, and, yeah, you get to go to Forge. Yeah, you have to get in there, too, because that place will be uh, rambling and scrambling tonight full of people. You know that. Yeah, it is always packed on Friday, which is great business. Great, 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 great business. So I love that he does well up there business-wise. So I just want to see, make sure my boy can get into an experience. He's heard me talk about it. Yeah. He's heard me, uh, you know, mention Ford. You know, I, t- I took your favorite member of Wells household there uh, <laughs> get, before. Get, and, uh, make sure you get the onion rings that are on the big funnel there. As an appetizer. Ooh. See, I dig. I didn't used to like it, and I think I missed out for a number of years, but they have great onion rings, and they're on this long funnel they put on your table. And thank me later yeah. for that. Those things are the bomb. I'm on it. I'm on it. I am definitely, definitely on it. So, man, it's, uh, it, it, you know, I know, we, I, I know we're going to shift to the cold at some point. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go ahead and shift now. It's interesting, man. I, you know, uh, you know, people I know, uh, guys I see around town, they're, they're always complaining uh, about what the Colts have not done. Right. This, this, this off season. And, I really haven't thought. I thought about it a little bit, but I hadn't thought too much about it. This might be. I mean, where do you rank this offseason for the Colts as far as um, not doing much? I know um, Balor likes to kind of be, you know, that thrifty shopper, but he might have taken it to a new level this offseason. Yeah, yeah. And th- th- this offseason is going to get covered up too. It's going to get covered up because the the long term decision is going to be made in the draft for quarterbacks. So I think people are probably either willing to or actually forgetting about the offseason in terms of free agency because it is so important to make sure you find that quarterback of the future in this draft. But no, it has been ultra-typical Chris Ballard in free agency right there, which is exactly what we had talked about, too. And we talked about that with him back at the combine. And I, I told everybody after the conversation, I said, hey, yeah, nothing really is going to change right here. He doesn't feel compelled uh, to change up how he addresses and how he believes a team should be built that plays at a high level, even though the results, as we know, have been few and far between in the first six years. So 
And also what that tells you is, Mike, he's got – some people will disagree with me. He's got legitimately three more years at least to get this whole thing ironed out. Man, it, it's funny. I, when I, you know, I've, at first I was like, oh, my man Jay is just talking crazy. But <laughs> I'm, 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 in, I'm, in, I'm, uh, I'm in belief with you. I think uh, I'm believing that. And so I've, I believe it so much that I've been starting to tell people. And if I could take pictures of their re- initial reaction when I say that, their eyes get so big, and it's like they want to cuss me out right. for saying it. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and it's it's the way that it is. But now I think even more than ever, or certainly equal to the past six years, you can honestly, Mike, you can go back to some moments where obviously Jim Mercy stepped in and said, "All right, this is my decision. I'm doing this." But to me, Jim has kind of stepped back, which we all asked for. Uh, in terms of decision making, he's kind of stepped back and he's uh, letting Chris Ballard cut loose with a similar philosophy, and we'll see if that works. And I know people think I'm crazy because when you think about it, uh, three more years means like nine years of Chris Ballard. When you're a general manager in the NFL, nine years normally means you are incredibly successful, doesn't it? If you get nine years, aren't you incredibly successful, normally speaking? And in this case, it hasn't been so much. You are damn successful if you get if you get nine years. You've probably gone to the playoffs at least four to five times in that stretch. Because I mean, we all know getting to the playoffs is hard, but you know, you, you four to five times, six times, seven times. But to go nine nine years and potentially only get to the playoffs twice in that stretch, holy cow! Yeah, yeah, it's it is tough for people around here again to deal with, but you've got. Now, this decision at quarterback looming so much that everybody's attention is kind of there. And, you know, you just you're, are kind of resigned to the fact that he's going to be the decision maker for the next three years. Even some, I know Jim Mercer had mentioned, well, you know, I need to see results sooner rather than later. But listen, it's going to go this year is going to be fine. Next year, you show some fi- signs are going to be fine. And then the third year of this reboot, the ninth year in all, is going to be that that proving ground and we'll see where it is then but that's how it's going to go no man Woo. hey those Colts fans sorry we, we hate to, we hate to be the bear of bad news even though john's been telling you guys this for a while that this is going to be this is going to be the situation now do you get are you getting excited and anxious about the draft on because of where the Colts are sitting at and the potential to take a quarter but you know take a quarterback um in the first round for the first time since they're um twelve for me, like when you're talking about luck and even going back to Manning, to me those were easily the most perfect decision to make. It was easy. I yeah. listen. We go back. Ryan Grigson had nothing to do with drafting Andrew Luck. He was just like sitting in that chair. That was Jim Irsay's draft. When Jim Irsay decided to separate from the Manning era, the decision was made to draft Andrew Luck at that point in time. He's the one that made that decision. You know, obviously when they drafted Manning, that stuff. Even though there was a debate between he and Ryan Leaf, I think most people knew there was going to be Man- uh, Manning, and that was an easy decision. This one, however. Especially because you're not sitting at number one, we might consider it much easier. And I think we would if they were sitting at number one, even if we would debate 
over who we believe should be the next long-term quarterback for the Colts. Number four makes this a lot different and even more of a crapshoot, certainly, than we've seen around here, making a selection at that position in in really uh, a long-term pass memory. So I, it, it's tough because, to me, from what I've heard, it's going to be Levis, and I think it's going to be Levis at number four. I don't know if he should be the guy, but he's the guy that looks like he can play quarterback. But then you've got this incredibly talented dude in Florida. You don't know if he can play quarterback, but he's an incredible athlete. And then you got a guy like Hendon Hooker that's you know coming off an injury, great success at Tennessee, a little bit older, I think 24 years of age. People, I think, like him a lot better. If he were healthy, I think he probably would be the guy right now. But the way you look at it, given the fact that they sit at number four and I think we'll stay there, it's going to end up being Will Levis. You know, it's funny. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, I'm curious because, you know, obviously, you know, you sound like you're pretty plugged in and, you know, you know, people are telling you it's, not like it's going to be Will Levis. I'm curious on if Ballard's going to surprise some people and maybe trade back or go with Anthony or go with Anthony Richardson. I'm just – I'm just I'm I'm just wondering if he's going to try to surprise folks and do some do the, do the unexpected despite the obvious need of using that number four pick to get a QB. Let me ask you this too, and what you think? It's a Mike Wells of ESPN Radio is with us. If you're resigned to the fact, and I kind of come from the angle, I I want to see whomever they draft. I'd like to see them get some run this season. But let's just consider. Let's consider that it's not going to be Levis because I think Levis would end up at some point getting some run. But if it's not Levis, if it is Richardson or Hooker, for example, who would you rather have considering the time it's going to take for either one to be able to get some run? to get some playing time under center because Hooker is going to be waiting until he comes back from the injury and then having to acclimate. So how much time would he get next year? And then with Richardson, he hadn't played enough at quarterback in Florida to really get a feel. So you're going to have to obviously, I think, wait longer than just next year for him. Who would you be willing to wait on longer to have lead this team in the future? Would it be Hooker or would it be Richardson? And consider that Hooker, I think, is about four years older than Richardson, who would you rather them take a shot at if it were one of those two, Mike? Oh, Hooker. Oh, they're, they're, hey, I'm gonna tell you, Hooker sold me on that game against Alabama in uh, during, during the regular season. I like, and, and I think the maturity standpoint too. I think you know, I'm, I'm a believer in, in in having some maturity, having some years under your belt. So I would go with Hooker, and I just like. I know Alabama had a quote unquote down year. But it's still Alabama, and their defense routinely is um, up there. So give 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 me Hooker in this situation. Yeah, see, yeah. No, yeah, normally I would counter with a, you know, a one game. But I, I I give C.J. Stroud the one game nod for that game he had in that yeah. national semifinal against Georgia. But considering that uh, logically he's going to be out of the equation, I, I just if, if if it were me. And, and again, knowing how much time Ballard has, and let's just say knowing you're not going to see much, if at all, of these guys that you're going to pick in your number one, 
I would take the younger and the uh, the inexperienced uh, and the bigger risk, but certainly the larger reward with that risk. I would probably, again, in that scenario, take Richardson over Hooker. I don't think it's going to be that way, but just given the question that I ask, I would go with the Florida quarterback. Well, for, and then, I mean, if we want to take a step further, I, I would have traded for the number one overall pick. I would. I would have done what yeah. it's taking to, to move up to number one. I listen, and and I would have too, but clearly they don't consider C.J. Stroud as we do. They didn't consider it that way, and maybe even Bryce Young too, but they don't consider C.J. Stroud in that fashion. And and I can tell you this, you know, another aspect of what they're trying to find, and you know. Yeah, the groundwork is kind of laid with these interviews that they're doing, whether they go, you know, they go to the pro days or they do the private workouts. And, you know, all we think about is, you know, the cannon arms and the athleticism and all this crap we've talked about already. But when they get their alone time with these prospects, it matters the most what they believe that they can do as a leader. And it, it sounds so cliched that it's laughable. But in terms of what the Colts think, that is a very important aspect moving forward in their locker room at the quarterback position that they're looking for is what they believe is going to translate into an NFL quarterback leader, both on and off the field. And I think that's going to play a significant role in this decision, too. Yeah, I'm also curious on how much how much say Shane, Shane Sykin is going to have. Because you think about, you know, Frank went to bat so hardcore for um, Carson Wentz. That didn't work out. He, he thought Matt Matt Ryan had something in tank still. Are they going to be- believe in Shane Steichen to, make you know, say this is the guy I want? Or do they believe that, okay, listening to Frank Reich, you know, was part of the reason they're in this current situation. So Mike Wells of ESPN Radio is with us. What's funny about that entire thing is the the portrait has been painted of Shane Steichen being so versatile that, you know, he can deal with, you know, the, you know, kind of the, the running athletic mentality of a quarterback and what you may end up having in Hooker or Richardson and also somebody that's athletically gifted, but maybe not to quite a running back as we just described, and in somebody that is a drop back passer in that mold, like a Justin Herbert. The portrait has been painted of Shane Steichen in that fashion, so I don't, I don't even think that really matters. Now, personal preference, there's no doubt. I think he's going to have some dictation on the direction that they go. But again, everybody believes him to be so successful in whatever type of quarterback that he has. That's why I kind of believe in this whole leadership value that we kind of take it as cliche and laugh about it sometimes and say, well, let's get on to the arm strength or the versatility or the athleticism. I think they care more about the type of long-term leader they're going to get than they do a lot of things in this case. Well, they, you know what? It's, uh, it, it's funny you say that because they, they were spoiled. I mean, we've, we've talked about the spoil from a talent standpoint with, Andrew and Peyton Manning, but both of those guys were both of those guys were leaders. Philip Rivers was a leader in his one in his one season here. Car- Carson Wentz didn't want anything to do with his teammates. Matt Ryan was just bad. So yeah, you you need to have that in the DNA in, in your quarterback. Where those guys, where he walks in the locker room, those guys aren't going to sit there and put their head down and mumble under their breath and say, "Oh hell no, we got to play with him." They're going to def- they will ride. They will ride hardcore with their uh, starting QB.
Yeah, it's um, it, it it's interesting. I also think we kind of fall in this category, uh, and especially me. You're on with me once a week, but I'm on here five days a week. I think that that we can get punch drunk and talk ourselves into circles. I'll give you a great example of that. I was so steadfast against ever falling in love or falling into lust, if you will, in somebody's pro day workout. I've always been really good about that. And then this time has been different because last week I saw Richardson and I was like texting some people going, man, wow, this may change my philosophy. And you know what, Mike, it shouldn't. But I think we become so punch drunk of talking about these so many different, these endless angles that we kind of fall into that category a little bit. I end up doubling back to what I think they're going to do. But what I think they're going to do is much different than what I would like to see them do. And unfortunately, what I would like to see them to do is is by the board right now. So, you know, what I wanted to see them to do was ride with C.J. Stroud. There had to be some reasons as to why they didn't want to do that, maybe even beyond what you would have to give up to Chicago to get up there. So, yeah, it just kind of seems like now the whole leadership quality just beyond the combine effect, beyond the pro day effect, is playing a role here. We'll see how significant it is. But I think we do talk ourselves into circles after a while here. Oh, yeah. Hey, that's why you probably can't wait. What What is the draft? Uh, three weeks from today, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, 20, the 27th, so. it, started, it will start. It was oh, yeah, three weeks yeah. ago from last night, yeah. Hey, so basically, you got three, you got two weeks, two weeks and six more days <laughs> of talking, of talking yourself in circles. Yeah. Because in a in a couple more days, that squad on Pennsylvania Street will be packing up and heading off for a summer vacation. Yes. Well, here's the other thing too. That's why I wish Lamar Jackson's story had more legitimacy in terms of legs. It, it just doesn't to me, and it especially doesn't after Jim Irsay said what he said in Arizona last week about it. I wish we could utilize that more conversationally. I know some do. I just don't because I believe that to be an absolute dead issue, and I take my cue from somebody that I don't think if there was an opportunity to get somebody already ready to go with an opportunity to get somebody the talent of Lamar Jackson, I think Jim Irsay would completely be on board with it. But last week, I mean, you could not have done more to shoot that storyline down than what he did. So I kind of took that cue and moved on. But there would be nothing better than to be able to factor that in to this debate and conversation, too. Yeah, I mean, hey, when Irsay talked to uh, Joel Erickson, Zach Kiefer, and uh, Holder down there in Phoenix, basically – it went from having a heartbeat to having a, a lifeline. It was done. It, it it just it just died down there in uh, Scottsdale, and that was done. I mean, I I, I would love for that just because I I think the fan base is just so quarterback thirsty. Yes. Even if they weren't to get LeBron, obviously I'm about to say LeBron Lamar, they would still love to, to be able to have, think that it was a possibility. And now it's like, ah, right, yeah, okay. Lamar's an afterthought. Who knows where he's gonna he's gonna end up at? And now they're hoping, okay, uh, Richardson, Richardson, Levis, Richardson, Levis. Why didn't they trade up? That's all they have left to wonder about as they, you know, they're curious on if, if the Colts are ever gonna figure out this quarterback situation. No, 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 no. You're right. Like like a year ago, a year ago that would have been perfect. Like, Lamar Jackson a year ago would have been perfect. You know, even with the fact that it would have taken a year of tire wear off of him. 
but it would have been perfect for him and the Colts a year ago because we know this. We know that Jim Irsay, you know, basically during the Jacksonville game said, hey, we got to get rid of this guy. I don't care what happens. You got to get somebody else. And that's one of the reasons why my belief is they were so sold after 90 minutes of videotape footage of watching Matt Ryan. They were sold on that he could, you know, regrasp, retake over his career and he still had something left in the tank when clearly we found out basically in week one he didn't. So I think that they were put in the pressure of finding somebody and finding somebody right then had Lamar Jackson been available a year ago, uh, assuming like he is this particular offseason or would like to be this offseason, that would be perfect. But then you add in Jim Irsay and Jim Irsay talking as if he wants to be the lead dog with owners in the NFL in mind and shooting down what you know guaranteed contracts are, shooting down what Cleveland did a year ago with Deshaun Watson and knowing that there are a lot of guarantees as far as Lamar Jackson is concerned. I just don't think he could go back from saying that if he still wants to be the leader of the NFL and its ownership wants to be a lead voice. I don't think he could go against that. That's why I don't think he will, and that's why I think last week was so legitimate in telling everybody out there it's going to be a drafted quarterback and you're wasting your time talking about Lamar Jackson. Oh, my God. I mean, the thing is, as passionate as Jim Mercy is, he finds a way to put his foot in his mouth. We've seen it, you know, way too many times. If he were to go back on, all of a sudden, you know, you, you, you see a, a breaking news tweet that says the Colts have worked out a deal with the Baltimore Ravens to get Lamar Jackson, people will be excited. But then, but no, those who are questioning – Lamar Jackson's durability. I'm mean, like, oh my God! I thought Jim Mercy said they were going to do it. Blah 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 blah. And then he would be put in a tough situation once again that we've seen Ursa in. Well, and, and again, don't get me wrong. Not only would that have been a perfect situation a year ago, it, it'd be perfect to me right now because that that gives you beyond legitimacy. And the juice that is necessary for a fan base that Mike right now is juiceless. Right? It is right. regarding this team with level of expectations in 2023. It would be beyond perfect to try to slide Lamar Jackson in here with that. I just think, from what Jim Irsay said last week, that it's as dead an issue as I thought it was from what he had to say. So it's unfortunate that we couldn't talk about it. And here, here's the thing: it would make the it would make the Colts relevant again. Yeah, because yeah, yeah because I mean the juice the, that they don't have right now, absolutely. The, the, the reality is whether it's you know whether it's Will Levis or Anthony Richardson, neither one of those two guys are going to come in and and make the Colts put the Colts you know on the radar of everybody's wanting to talk about them again. With, with Bryce Young, it would be okay. He was at Alabama. You know, is the height in the NFL going to catch up with him, or is he going to be just as good as he was when he was at Bama? Can C.J. Stroud put up those crazy type of numbers that he had with those NFL receivers at Ohio State? Now, will Will Levis come in? Yeah, no, okay, he's Will Levis. He played in Kentucky. We'll see what happens. Is he, we'll see if he's going to be Josh Allen part two or is he just going to be <clears throat> just bad. Is Anthony Richardson just a freak athlete or can he improve his completion percentage? It's just not, it's not going to move the national needle. Uh, when it comes to either one of those two. Final thing with Mike Wells of ESPN Radio on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. While this is by far you know, the biggest decision with the Colts and where they're going to go with the future and quarterback and what they're going to draft, this is a huge offseason for the Pacers, too, because they have, they have a fire lit here. I mean, they have made, they have created a fire, even being outside of the postseason. 
and you know, being able to use your picks, your assets. And I said this a little bit earlier. I think that the viewpoint with some NBA players that might be available regarding this team here in Indianapolis with Tyrese Halliburton is much different than it has been around here, that similar viewpoint in a long time. And I, to me, it, the Pacers this offseason, to get up into where they're competitively speaking in that playoff picture, this is as big as an offseason as we've seen around here in a long time. Oh, yeah, because cause th- think about the previous offseason. It's like, okay, uh, Herb Simon doesn't want to spend any money, blah, 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 blah. Now they got the pieces, and it- it's a case of time to build off of that, time to build and give Halliburton and company something to work with because they – all because of that appetizer they had, what was that, December when they went on that run and were, you know, were beating some good teams, that appetizer – Gave, made people hungry. It said, okay, this team at some point with an adi- the addition of a guy or two can finally get into the playoffs. And then when I say playoffs, the way that East is, we know we know about Boston, Philly, Milwaukee. I'm going to throw Cleveland in the mix. We know about those teams. But beyond that, they're, they're going to expect not just playing, but being in a position to actually be one of the top um, six seeds and not have to worry about a play-in. Yeah, I just, I, I just, and I also have a core group that I think that they can sell now more than ever. I'm not just talking about you know free agents or anything like that. I'm just talking about players that maybe thought this place as an afterthought of the day. It legitimizes it with Halliburton, and all you really have to do is show the signs from one year to the other that Miles Turner has made. Where he was last year, where we thought he was going to be, and then look at the numbers, the production, regardless of if he's been playing, and I know Halliburton hadn't been playing either, but there is a legitimate selling point for this offseason, the first that they've had in a long time around here, and I'm going to be curious to see how they utilize it. Exactly. So, I hopefully Chad Buchanan and... um. And uh, Kevin Pritchard do some things out here in his offseason. Hey, Richard, if you listen for Force Garage, yes. I'm going to call you. I'm about to call you, and I get hang up with Jay and see if we can get in tonight. And uh, I'm going to try the peanut butter burger. Did tonight. Richard and get I'm with you? Or did Richard get with you? Well, I actually know what I was looking at my wallet as we were talking. And he gave me his card when I took Layla last night. Yeah. Time, so, um, I didn't know. I didn't know. I was going to. I was going to give him a call. But yeah, Richard up at Ford's Garage. If you're listening. Get uh, Mike and Tay in after Tay plays a little hoop at Finch Creek later on this evening into Ford's Garage tonight, and make sure you get the onion rings as an appetizer. Oh, I'll definitely get the onion rings, brother. Hey, you tell you tell you tell my favorite uh, oh, member yeah. of your household. I said hello, and if she's playing this weekend, good luck. We got we we start next we start next weekend. We have like uh, six six or seven, I think, straight coming up here too. So that's when we start oh, next well. weekend. Yeah. All right. Hey. Hey. And, by, and also, we'll have a pre. I'm gonna have a pre-funk for the JMV takeover when I'm on ESPN Radio from four to seven tomorrow. Oh yeah, do that. Please do that. I got. It's like this. Not in the entirety of my show is not one hit wonders, but one hit wonders. That's the the weekend theme that also can play a role in my show. You got any one hit wonder in mind here? Oh, I I know you're playing. I, I I'm not sure I can classify Millie Vanilli as one hit wonders because they were lip syncing, but I still put them in that category though. Well, thinking about you, H Town knocking boots, one hit wonder, Candyman knocking boots, one hit wonder. 
right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I love me some candy, man. Yeah, I mean, Silk is, is Silk with uh, Freak Me, one hit wonder. Yes. So there's, hey, yeah, hey, there's hey, some hey, in there. Hey, hey, and Keith Sweat tried to break a little little silk out there. He, <laughs> he two did. Weeks ago. He did, man. He did. Well, give me a call tomorrow night. We'll get you in the mix. All right, brother. Hey, hey, you have a good rest of your show. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline, each year every Friday. He's brought to you by your 14 Central Indiana. Joe Childers run CarX locations. Maintain spring road readiness with CarX.com to find that location nearest you. Again, CarX.com. Bob Lovell of Indiana Sports Talk. He does join us. How you doing, sir? I'm great, John. How are you? How's things in Franklin today? Bright and sunshiny? You know, the sun is shining. We didn't think it would a few days ago, but we... Uh, we didn't have any power for three days. Uh, I wondered about that. Weekend, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pretty tricky, to be honest. So, what you guys? Uh, what you guys do? Go buy candlelight, or did you go someplace else? Uh, yes, and yes. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> we we did we did we pulled out the flashlights. To uh, quite frankly, and then as you know, our daughter lives in Indy, so right. we were. We were able, you know, they they live in in Florida, have a condo in Indy, and so uh, we go up to an empty condo and hang out up there for a couple of days. So it was, uh, we managed to rough it uh, as best we could. So we were, you know, we we didn't have any no power for three solid days. So that was, and I can appreciate how difficult that is for people. No, oh, uh, no doubt. I mean, I saw, I saw firsthand the damage. I, I, I was fortunate. A lot of us were fortunate. The damage they had up off of Whiteland road between Whiteland high oh, school and 65 right. was just awful. And in, in terms of electricity, I think they had more than 50 electric poles i think down in johnson right. county alone right. i believe so that was a tall task for our johnson county rmc yeah you know what they um you, you're, you're torn between being frustrated because you yeah. don't have any lights and also with the knowledge that there's so much destruction they were doing the be- the absolute best they could i mean yes. they really were and so um that that's uh getting angry and trying to voice our displeasure wasn't going to make it any faster. So we just jumped in the car, uh, drove by the destruction, headed up to the northeast side of town and hung out for a couple of days. So Bob Lovell of Indiana Sports Talk. He's back with us again on this Friday. Now, I talked about this with Greg Raystraw going back to Wednesday. And I, I don't know if you have a, a quick recall of history but it seems like once the basketball season for the fellas ended there's an incredible amount of really good basketball jobs at the varsity level open out there right now can you remember a time at the end of a season when some of these jobs have been as big and as better as the ones that we see right now that are open well i think locally uh, probably not you know in terms of historically around the state and there seem to be uh, you know constant kind of number you know jobs come and go but i think i think everybody understands now if you're in the coaching business it's different now you used to have some downtime uh, you have no downtime now i mean you it this is a 12 month a year 
proposition. You know, you've got off-season training. You have AAU basketball. You have individual skill development, not to mention the fact that I think the other factor that continues to weigh on everybody is the unbelievable rotations and demands from parents who are completely, uh, uh, I think, completely ruining a lot of things for a lot of people. And so um, it doesn't, I understand you want to get in it. It's fun. And when you're in it, you can't please anybody, which has been the case in coaching. But nowadays it gets particularly difficult with social media and what have you. And so uh, get in, do the best you can for a while, and uh, make a decision what's in the best interest of you and your family. So no, I'm not surprised that the number of jobs that are available just happens to be that you have some of the high-profile schools in Marion County that seem to be open at the same time. That's Bob Lovell, Indiana Sports Talk. Friday, Saturday night here in Network Indiana Affiliation. Brought to you every Friday right here on the 3 o'clock hour by your 14 Central Indiana Joe Childers Run CarX locations, CarX.com. Today, we pretty satisfied with the makeup of the Indiana All-Star team for the fellas, Bob? Uh, John, I think that's incredibly hard to do. I mean, Mike Broughton and his guys. Yeah, I mean, I thought, look, there are a lot of talented but You're always going to have people who are left out but i think it's i think it's a really really talented group of guys and ladies and they're they're really really good and um you hate to see somebody get left off but uh, the numbers as they are uh kind of dictate that someone's gonna not make it and the other part that everybody has to remember the idea here is to try to <coughs> excuse me win a couple of games and it's not like you're constructing a roster for a high school or a college team. Uh, you're not taking the, the bed. You're not necessarily taking, you know, the top 12 or 15 players. You're trying to put together a squad that will win two games against Kentucky. And sometimes those roster considerations kind of get in the way. And so it's, it's a hard balancing act. I think they do it quite well. But I think it's really um, a couple of boys and girls teams that are really, really good. Yeah, no doubt about that. Bob Lovells on the Andy Moore <laughs> Automotive Group Hotline. Um, this is also the time of year when we start talking about this, and we all know how you feel about it. But we're in the middle of it, and it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon, um, given the fact that there are little to zero guardrails on it, but the transfer portal, for example, Caleb Love from Carolina to Michigan. And and now, I mean, because everything that's going on, it the transfer portal in a lot of respects for some teams becomes even more important than their recruiting acumen. And I kind of wonder, I, I know that recruiting is still the most important, but when when do these two facets of building and growing the foundational pieces for your collegiate basketball team, when do they run neck and neck, or when does maybe the recruiting aspect start to fall behind a little bit, Bob? No, I think it probably has now. But, but quite frankly, John, if you're out there doing your job, and you know, the transfer portal is part of life, and I think that one of the things coaches do, and if they don't, they probably ought to give it some thought, and I know we did it when I was coaching, is that I recruited some people. I kind of had an idea I probably wouldn't get right out of high school, but um, hopefully they would go and go someplace, not get to play as much as they wanted and they thought. And uh, when it was time to leave, you want it to be at or near the top of their consideration to thinking back of who recruited you. So, that turned out to be a pretty successful strategy for me at IUPUI. 
But um, I think the same thing is true here. You, you know, you, you, you still have to be out there recruiting guys. You still have to go to camps. You still have to make contact with the knowledge that more and more people are going to be dissatisfied and want to leave. And when they do, they're going to start going back and thinking, okay, who really liked me when I was coming out of school and who did I have a good relationship with? And hopefully if you're a good coach and smart at what you do, you establish that relationship a, a year or two or three years ago. And when a man or young woman wants to leave, you're right there at the top of the list of people to call. All right, Bob. And listen, I don't think this is going to change anytime soon. Oh, no, the other no. aspect that we're talking about, this is NIL, but I do, I, I do want to hear what you have to say about the future, the longer term future of it, because I guess I sit here and question right now, and maybe I don't know enough about just how much money everybody has involved in this, you know, boosters and such around the country. But at some point, doesn't the reservoir of money that's being thrown at these kids and that availability start to run out? I mean, at some point, doesn't that happen? Well, you would think, but um, I, I don't. I don't know. I think this is in the category. Of be careful what you wish for. You know, everyone concerned about the poor college student athlete didn't have enough money and not enough money to eat, even though they're getting a a, a tuition, uh, room, board, books, and fees. Anything they have to pay for, but. Still, there was an outcry that they were, you know, these schools are making so much money, coaches are making so much money, uh, everybody making money except the kids. And uh, so now, you know, the reaction is, well, let's literally eliminate all rules and let them get whatever they want. And uh, I think that's uh, by all accounts right now. There's no real accounting. There's no real knowledge in exactly what's going on. Obviously, schools are monitoring it, and then schools are trying to create their own uh, coalitions or uh, whatever they call them, where they're handling the NIL money internally. But, John, uh, again, not everybody, not everything's going to be above board. Uh, the NCAA, basically, you know, in terms of recruiting, they used to have an enforcement division. They used to have groups of people creating things. I'm not aware of that going on right now in terms of NIL. I think the confusion, uh, the lack of understanding by me, you, everybody understanding and the confusion because it created problems that I'm not even sure that if you brought on a half a dozen college coaches tomorrow and asked them uh, about NIL, it's the same answer. I'm not exactly sure you do that. And so I think right there, you have all kinds of opportunities for problems, not the least of which is there doesn't seem to be a hole over what everybody's doing. And so um, it stay at least for a while. I just think that um, it's one of those situations where, in their infinite wisdom, the decision makers decided to just go ahead and open it up and literally turn it into the wild, wild west. Wild, wild west. Was that one of your favorite shows in the 60s? Loved it. Absolutely. Are you kidding? How do you not like that show? <laughs> that was Robert Conrad, right? Wild Wild West. Wild Wild West. James West. Arthur. How do you not like those guys? I'm make Come sure on. I got that right. Whoa, whoa. Robert Conrad. Am I thinking of a different Western? I think. No, no. Robert Conrad. Yeah. Exactly he, was right. a, he was a badass back then, wasn't he? He absolutely was. There's 
Well, I'm not going to ask you how much you like the 80s song Wild Wild West by Cool Mo D, because you probably don't have uh, much recollection of that, do you? Yeah, I mean, the 80s didn't totally escape me, John. I mean, I was, I was, I was still alive. Then, okay? yeah, I appreciate the disrespect on it, but, but it, it's, it's okay. Sorry, right, buddy. Hey, we'll be, we'll be listening. The, uh, I'm not the 80s. Yeah, I'm not the 80s icon that you are, so, uh, but I still have a cursory knowledge of those kinds of songs. Robert Conrad. He had the uh, knock this battery off my shoulder commercial too. He was like a bad dude. And, you know when they used to have when they used to have the um uh, um whatever with the when the stars battle of the network stars. Right. And right. when he was on an NBC team, man, he that's all he thought about was winning. He was all about winning. He didn't care. He was a competitive guy. What concerns me though is this this knowledge, this uh, yeah. unbelievable uh, total recall that you have of everything '80s. Re- I'm uh, telling you, know, you. it's great. It's incredible, isn't it? Shows. I'm a walking Very encyclopedia of, de- well, of, of especially a decade of the '80s. Either. Yes, I'm a, an encyclopedia. Now, other things, not so much. I forget to pay bills all the time and forget to re-sign up for insurance, which can be costly for me. Well, um, kind of. <laughs> luckily, my luckily my family incredibly understands that. But I can damn straight tell you uh, what was number one in the uh, third week of March, nineteen eighty-three. If you want to, so there's you know. no question. There's no question you can. That's why people like you so much. <laughs> you know? All right, my brother. I appreciate you. Have a great weekend. I'm glad the you power too. is back on, and uh, you dodged uh, the damage that unfortunately a lot of people had too, and still dealing with down there right now in Johnson County. But it's always a pleasure, my friend. Appreciate you. Thanks, John. Have a great weekend. Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com.